Peely. Welcome back to Accelerated Real Estate Investor. It is such an honor to be back here. Just hearing you talk about our growth, it just... <laughs> it makes me kind of giggle because as while you're in the grind of growth and of growing, you look back barely enough to recognize your mistakes, but then you keep on growing. So just hearing you say the massive growth we've had since Norbrook Arms, it's kind of astounding. Yeah, it is very <laughs> astounding. It's 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 fantastic. It's you know, we've grown a lot as well. So let's just peel back the onion peely on the hockey stick growth and some of the maybe key things that's made that happen. So let's, let's just go back real quick to Norbrook arms. And that deal was one of the first deals. I believe it was in around Louisville, Kentucky area. I have a really good memory. You do. I I do. Yeah. And so it was around Kentucky and Jason, you guys were just, just refinanced it. So just tell me, Kind of what happened from there, not only on that deal, but with your business as a whole. What happens from there three and a half years ago that now puts you guys at over $100 million? So let's just go kind of step by step, very linear. If you remember, what were some of the things that happened shortly after that last interview? Okay. So we're going back. How much time do we have? Yeah. So Norbrook Arms. Just kidding. That, <laughs> that was number one. That was our first large multifamily syndication we had taken that down at the time when we we're talking about about it with you. We had done the refinance, seventy five percent of the cash flow or of the our investors' initial return went back to them. The great thing is, I mean, if anybody's that's listening to this doesn't realize this, once we return the capital back to our investors, they still stay in our deal for the same amount that they invested. So we had a lot of because they were first time investors with us as well. So a lot. A lot of them were just so surprised at the at what they could do within multifamily within multifamily syndication. So just before COVID, we actually ended up selling that asset. That was our first exit, and we were really really happy because all of a sudden it wasn't it wasn't so much that we had taken down our first asset and we took down a few more after that before this first sale. It was being able to do a complete acquisition to exit and having that within our portfolio, having that within our top track, we were able to show our investors that we couldn't, we didn't only know have the strength to take down an asset. We didn't only have the strength to manage it correctly, to asset manage it correctly and to take it full circle and to and to provide our tenants with the best place to live or to uplift the community that that we have a duty towards, but we were also able to return our investors back their capital plus the gains and then some that we had stipulated from the very beginning. So we were able to take that Norbrook arms. I will always, I will always have uh, sweet memories of that, of that uh, asset um, because it was our first, we were able to take that full circle. So that was huge for us. With the growth process, that full first full cycle deal, mm-hmm. Imagine talk track. How does it change the talk track now when you're dealing with brokers, investors, vendors, your own team? Help me understand the difference in your confidence and the way that you're able to project yourself and the talk track you mentioned. And how does that allow you to then start this hockey stick growth? It's called success. Yeah. Plain and simple. It's being successful at 
taking a asset full circle, full cycle. And you don't realize that until it happens to you for the first time. Now we've exited, I believe it's eight assets by this now, nine, eight assets now. And it feels amazing with each cycle because we're able to say, we've successfully returned your capital. We've successfully given you X amount of return. We've successfully done this now eight times with that first one. It, taking down the asset and acquiring it was was the first big success. But you know, it doesn't stop there. It's the it's the in between. That's the hard work. And then when we were able to to uh, exit it successfully again with the word, it changed our talk track dramatically because all of a sudden we took down and took full cycle this first asset we were able to tell people we did this we this is the first one we've done and we've taken one full cycle now we went from i almost felt like we went from beginner syndicators multifamily operators to successful syndicators multifamily operators because we were able to prove our business plan we were able to prove ourselves, not only to ourselves, but to our investors and the world that we were within, that we were here to stay. Yeah, love it. So peeling back the onion a little bit more, right? There's high level, mm-hmm. the high level word success, the high mm-hmm. level word, we went full cycle. Tell us about what you guys were actually doing in the dirt, like on the day-to-day asset management. What were some things you did to do the value add program, Mm -hmm. bump rents, increase the value? What were some of the things that you guys had to execute on from a management, asset management and CapEx perspective to force the value to get that 23% return? So, wow. We did a lot. I think one of the biggest things I want to focus on is what we did for our community. We were able to not only uplift our building, but we were able to uplift the entire community. At one point, and this was, it's a very interesting neighborhood. The street that we were on was, you know, I would say a solid B-class area, but across the way, there was a building that had had some crime happening. There was shootings. There were lots of bad things. We happened to have, we had an open uh, apartment. So Jason, this is why I think, and he's not, not only because he's my husband, but I think he's one of the best asset managers. He made it a point to keep on calling the police department in the area until he got a hold of the person he needed to speak to to clean up this neighborhood. And he's told the detective, he was like, I will offer you up one of my apartments that I can see this building from. And you can come and use this apartment for as long as you need to, to make sure that you take down whoever it is you need to take down in this other apartment building that is making my tenants feel unsafe. Mm. And the great thing is... That's in the dirt. Mm -hmm. We really got down deep uh, into the dirt. Core asset management like seeing a problem, accepting responsibility for it, not waiting for the police or someone else or some detective or some other neighbor to handle the problem, Uh, offering up your unit, making the phone calls, giving them the space to look out the window, you know, whatever they need to do 
to identify the problem, the culprit, whatever you want to call it, to truly solve the problem. And I think that, purely one of the things that sticks out to me is the difference in that approach versus what I know a lot of other operators have done because apartments have just gone up, 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 up in value. They've been such lax operators. They've let the market and the property manager do all the work for them. And then those buildings are not going full cycle or they're not they're not appraising out at the price they should, or they're not getting the rent bumps that they should, or they're actually seeing some cash bleed in some of their deals because they thought, hey, I, the, the exciting part was buying the asset. For you and Jason, the exciting part was the asset management and the exit, right? So I think the lesson here is for our audience is you didn't succeed because you bought a building, right? You didn't succeed. No. You just bought a headache is what you bought, Right. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> the, the headache though, you accept... And what I love about what you said about you and Jason is you accepted the responsibility to course correct the problem, which mm-hmm. then made your asset worth more. And ultimately you profited and all your investors profited. So first of all, like have serious respect for that for you and Jason, like serious, serious respect for that. Because I know a lot of guys and gals that are not asset managing like that. That's fantastic stuff. I actually want to talk to you about one word that you said, though. I'm big on the power of words. You said responsibility. And that word will carry an asset manager throughout any market. So like you said, right now, or lately, <laughs> I don't know how long, how much longer this is going to do go, is that buildings have just, like, real estate has skyrocketed. You could buy something and exit it within a couple of months and still make money. Now I'm not so sure. But the thing is, no matter what, if you always accept this responsibility, if you always accept the responsibility that you took on this asset, you have the responsibility for tenants, people's lives, you will carry through any market cycle. Right. And now this market cycle, although again, because we have a housing shortage, Mm -hmm. single family side, a lot of people still don't have a house to buy, even though Federal Reserve has pushed interest rates up, even though houses are still staying on the market longer, it's still a seller's market. There's still more buyers than inventory. Yes. And that's forcing people to move to apartments. And so that's going to continue to force, probably force the value of our apartments up because the rents are going up. That still is happening. It's just the growth pace is slowing down a little bit. But if that continues and all of a sudden we have more supply than demand in single family, then we're going to have less demand for apartments, right? And now it's going to be all about the asset manager. A lot of people I feel have gotten lulled into the last five years of thinking they were successful because they bought an asset and they watched the market take it for a ride. It's no different than what happened to crypto five years ago or whatever the stock market for the last 10 years. The difference though, and what you guys have done is the opportunity to actually create real value can change the real value of the asset. Fantastic stuff. So Peely, let's go back then. So that's an example of asset management that forces the value for Norbrook Arms. Now your talk track has changed. What starts to happen now with acquisitions that you guys start to take down more properties and that that hockey stick growth, you start to see the curve start to make make the bend a little bit. You're not to the top yet like you are now, but it's starting to make the bend. So what's the next phase? What happens next in your growth path? It's amazing because I don't even think, and we talked about this previously, I don't even think I saw the bend as we were, because you're just, Jason and I love to work. We met working, we met bartending, we met managing bars, creating restaurants. 
And we don't know how not to. We love what we do. And that's why during the bend period, yes, there was growth and there was grind and then COVID happened. There was bumps in the road. But even throughout COVID, we still grew because we like to work. We like to figure things out. We like to make things work. So our talk track changes. We're seeing success. We are working towards that success. It doesn't just happen. We're working every single day. But what's happening is now our conversations with others in this industry, brokers, property managers, we're expanding into other markets. That's changing. And we actually also moved from New Jersey to Tennessee, where we are now. So last time we talked, we were still living in New Jersey. Now we're in Tennessee. And we, we come closer to our to not only our assets, but also to our team. We create these amazing businesses out of the buildings that we acquire. And then we also jumped into seven-figure multifamily, which is our coaching program. So again, it comes back to working, making relationships, and then continuing to foster those relationships until you're just kind of you're on this like journey with a bunch of really amazing people. Yeah, I love it. So one of the things that happened to us, Peely, is when COVID hit, we decided to get really close to home. And it sounds like you guys did the same thing. Tell me a little bit more about that. How did that benefit you? Because there are so many investors, as you know, that live in Denver and they're investing in Florida, or they Mm -hmm. live in California, they're investing in Texas, or they live in Chicago and they're investing in Charlotte or they live in New York, New Jersey, they're investing in Ohio. But you and I, you, Jason, and I have a very similar approach that we're really dialed in, we're really committed to asset management, Mm -hmm. as are we, especially when COVID hit. We decided to stop doing some more, so many JV deals or deals outside of our markets and really bring everything close to home. Sounds like you guys did the same. We did exactly the same. So COVID happened. Nobody knew it was going to happen. We actually lost on two different deals. One was one that we were acquiring ourselves, but we couldn't rightly tell our investors that we knew it was going to happen. Nobody did. So we let go of that one. And then there was another one that we were going to uh, partner up on. And I had to unfortunately back out of that one as well. When COVID hit, we came, we just, everyone, everyone came home, right? Jason and I had already talked about this and trust me, I'm coming full circle on on your question. We already talked about this. So we have family and business. He went totally business. I went totally family. Not that we didn't jump into each other's circles, but for like two solid weeks, we just, we, we went into our separate, like tunnels. Like I started this whole homeschooling program for the kids. I made sure that they were taken care of. Jason uplifted me and helped me when I could. Jason went full circle, full, like full force into business. We shut down our actually outside office because we also had the construction company at the time. We shut down our construction company office. We brought in, we like really were mindful of the funds. We really like centered home centered everything and brought the office into the home. Love it. So for a whole year, we did that in New Jersey. We started talking though, and we realized that we wanted to be like you. We wanted to be, we wanted home to be a little different because now that we were just centered in the home, we realized we could take our home and really just live anywhere. 
And why not live closer to our friends in the business, our partners in the business, and closer to the assets that we were taking on. So we had we had assets or we still have one asset in Kentucky still. We were taking down something in Tennessee. We have we have assets in Atlanta. We have assets in in Arkansas. So Tennessee seemed like a great fit. We actually moved here, or I actually moved here sight and scene. Drove here from New Jersey, pulled up into the house first time I ever see it, saw it. But I knew the thing is, and I, I'm I'm getting the fact that we are our mindsets are a lot of like home is wherever we want it to be. Mm-hmm. Home is wherever Jason is, wherever my children are. We will create a home. But the thing is, being able to be in the same area as my tenants, as as people that live and breathe in this area, it just makes me feel closer to those those people that I have a duty towards. Yeah. So, yeah, we really just brought it all home, like you said. I love it. Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. And then from an execution perspective, right? So executing asset management, because I think you and I and Jason could talk asset management for a long time. All day long. (laughs) I love to get up in the morning. I take my one daughter to high school. I come home. I take my other kids to grade school. I come home. Actually, I don't come home. I go right to the gym every day. Then from the gym, I will often go right to one of my buildings and secret shop the building. I'm like still sweaty. I still haven't showered. I look like a tenant. It's hilarious. Guy comes up to me yesterday. He's like, do you work here? Like, are you in maintenance? I'm like... And one of the things I love to say is, uh, no, I don't work in maintenance. I actually own the joint. So he's like, wait, you own it? Because I just totally look like a bum, right? Like just all sweaty and no shower. But that leads me into asset management because Mm -hmm. I'm walking the building like a resident would. I'm walking the building like a property manager would. I've got keys to the buildings. I can let myself in any common I want. A lot of them have the master key for the deadbolts. I can let myself into units and I can see what's going on without anybody knowing I'm on site. And now you don't have any of the property manager sort of kind of glazing over, right? Of the ugly stuff or the things mm-hmm. they get or the fact that they're short staffed. So, how have you guys done that? Like, that's just one little thing that I do. That's one of my secret sauces to do that on a weekly basis. Sounds like, again, because you guys are in love with asset management, you guys probably not, especially now that you live closer in Tennessee, you probably do something similar. Tell me about your strategies. What works for you guys? So, that is an amazing strategy. And we do something similar. But what we like to do, and we do this, I would say at least twice a month, we take the kids on just a little, we call it mommy and daddy's road trip. And we go look at our assets here in Tennessee 
And it's, it gives us two things though, because normally we're probably just coming out of soccer or we just, we just look like your normal, just average family. We're not, <laughs> we usually just dress in t-shirts. You've seen Jason. <laughs> we're very much a team t-shirt and jeans type of family. For so sure. we'll go and take a look at the assets. We'll, we'll park the car. And we're usually, we're usually in our minivan. That's, you know, nothing special has the usual like cracks and dings. Cause I'm a soccer mom. So we'll park the minivan. We'll just go and walk with the kids and we'll look at everything. Like, like one of like our four-year-old might trip on the sidewalk and I'll make note of that. Or like they'll say things about the building. And I really want them to to know what mommy and daddy do. Cause there's times when they're like, mommy, why don't you, why don't you just stay all day and play with me? <laughs> and I'm just like, well, mommy and daddy help people. I want to let them know what we do. And then like you, we can let ourselves into the office. We can let, we can see who's on site. We can look at the, look at what they've done to further our business plan. So one of our assets, we could actually easily probably sell it right now but it's cash flowing so well that we're, just, we're simply keeping it. So the upkeep of this asset is really, really important to us because we want to make sure now that we have taken it to the point where it's cash flowing, where it's stabilized, that it stays that way. So mm-hmm. I don't want to see, and our property management team here in Tennessee are, is fantastic. So, but the thing is, we don't know that unless we go and look and we can see that they're keep where they're very, very mindful about the upkeep of the, of the place of keeping tenants happy of continuously up-leveling the community service that we give to our, our tenants there. So some of the things that we do. For sure. And that's so key. Like you listening to, you know, having an owner meeting between a property Mm -hmm. manager and an owner is it's just a lot that could get lost in translation a lot numbers never lie so leases collections evictions marketing leads all that's important it's really important and you can do a lot of that virtually from almost anywhere in the world mm-hmm. but i've learned at a very young age you have to inspect what you expect yes and if you inspect it it's not like some people just say I don't trust anybody. So I'm going to go do it myself. Like I, that's not me. Like we have a big business and I, I don't, I don't have time to do everything myself, but I do like to hire really good people, really good property managers, asset managers. They've got two incredible partners, really good construction company, but I still want to inspect what I expect. And it's out of respect for the investor's money. Yes. If you don't respect the investor's money, then you're probably going to just take the property manager's word for it and you're not going to inspect it. So respect turns into inspect, which turns into what you've expected. It goes up and down like that. And to me, that's one of the philosophies for us is about res- respecting the investor's dollar. So Pili, let me ask you as I pivot to that, as you've built up into these $180 million, 1,900 units, and all these syndications. How has your capital raising efforts changed along with the hockey stick growth? Obviously, you have to have hockey stick recruiting of capital, talking to investors. How did that change as your growth path changed? It's very interesting because we're actually... I don't want to say we're revising our strategy but we're uplifting it. Jason, I actually just had this conversation. So I have a talk track of 
relationships equal partnerships. You have to work on that relationship first. And I have a really funny thing that I do with any of my uh, conferences that I attend. I always say, I always tell people, okay, so look at your neighbor. Okay, you're looking at him. Say hi. They say hi. Okay, now ask your neighbor for money. Can't do that, right? You have to create the relationship first. So I take people throughout this entire process of creating the relationship, creating the talk track with people, fostering a, a, not even a sense, but fostering that communication and trust that you need to have, that someone needs to have with you to simply give you like just our, our investment minimums are 50, $50,000. That's not that's not just, that's not just change in your pocket. So you have to foster this trust and you do this by the content that you put out and on social media, the posts that you make all over social media, the way you present yourself at conferences, the way you talk, have this talk track on podcasts and being very, very much you because you can't be anyone else. Everyone else is taken, just be you. So that's usually my talk track. That talk track is getting tweaked a little bit, especially for our our students. We're actually hosting a a small mastermind for our seven-figure students. Now my talk track is raise capital. You need to raise capital. So it was a much, my previous talk track was very soft. It was the soft entrance. It was the make the touch first. And there's still, there's still time and place for that. And there's still very much investors that need that. But I've found, especially with a lot of the people that I've talked to, that they have a really hard time raising capital. Mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of people that are just like, well, you know, I'll be on the acquisition side. I'll get, I'll, I'll bring the deal, I'll, I'll acquisition side. And that's great. That's needed. But you still need to, you still need to fund the deal, right? right. So on the capital raising side, I want people to understand that they are a capital raiser and that it's okay because again, you're not asking for money. You kind of are, but you're not really, you're providing an opportunity. So coming with that mindset that yes, you are a capital raiser. You don't want to lie to people. You don't want to just be their best friend and just let them think that that's it. Mm-hmm. Be their best friend by providing them the opportunity that only you have, that very few people in this world, percentage-wise, get to present this type of opportunity to anyone. So you have a duty toward to the world. I have a duty to the world to let people know about, about what we do. So I actually entered... We've been in the crypto space for since 2017. We've seen the highs and lows since then. And we got into the NFT space as well. So I started to see this trend of people not really knowing how to invest. So mm-hmm. I started just talking to people about what I do. And with this latest crypto winter and the downturn of crypto, it's happened a couple of times. So I'm not sure why so many people were su- was surprised, but it's happened. So many people that I know had were completely invested in crypto no other investments. And I could have just, it made me really, really sad because that means I wasn't doing my job. Mm. So many of my friends in the industry lost a lot of money and did not have another form of investing that they were, they could lean on. 
And that me again, I was very angry at myself for many months because I wasn't being loud enough. So for any of my crypto and NFT friends who are listening to this podcast, and I'm going to put it out to all of you. Yes, please do. Invest in something else now. So I want you to, if you're listening to this podcast and you're only investing in one thing, even if you're only investing in real estate, I want you to diversify and get yourself out there. So if you're a capital raiser, make sure you're being loud because if you're not loud enough, you are doing a disservice to your friends and family by not letting them know what you are doing. I love the passion pouring out of you. Um, I was really angry at myself. So I want to let everybody know what we do. You're very mad at yourself. I can tell. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So I had a friend of mine, Peely, Francis Abalola, who you may not may know. He's a great digital marketer Mm -hmm. from Florida. And about 10 years ago, Francis told me, he said, Josh, if you have something that can benefit somebody else, benefit their lives, impact their lives in a positive way, you have a moral obligation to sell it to them. And I have yes. lived by that for over 10 years. And what you just said is along those same lines, that you felt bad that you didn't educate more people, that you weren't louder. Because and just to put in a different word, you felt like you had a moral obligation that in your own words, maybe you didn't fulfill as hard as you wished. Oh, I failed. In a lot of ways, I failed. I, I wasn't going to say you failed. <laughs> I'm going to be, no, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Because, and these are people that I know. And I've done it before. I tell this story about my friend, Andy, who I, very high net, net worth individual in the flipping industry. Um, these are, this is many years ago. And Jason head up just for, just taking down Norbrook Arms. And we we're so excited. We want to tell all our flipper friends. So at this mastermind, we told them all about what we were doing. And Andy looks at me, he's like, Peely, why didn't you call me? Yeah. I was like, oh, my heart. So, and then I did it again. So for any capital raisers out there, and if you're listening to this, you should be raising capital. Be louder. If you're second guessing yourself on that content that you're putting out there, stop. Just put the content out. You have no business telling yourself not to do that because there's somebody out there that needs you, needs this. And even if they don't have the capital right now, who are you to say that in a month, a year, five years from now, that person won't? Who are you to say that? So get it out there, whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever you are in your business, let people know about what you are doing. Like you said, you have a moral obligation to let people know that they have this opportunity. Oh my God, I love it. Peely, listen, we have to stop with that because that is, that's the lesson. Like that's that's just that one lesson that you want to push out to the audience, your audience, my audience, and just let it sink in. So I feel like if we kept talking, we would do that point a disservice. I have to have you back, you, Jason. We can have an additional conversation about the remaining hockey stick growth because you've taken down 18 other assets and amazing amount of growth on top of what we talked about. But that part of the conversation needs to sit by itself and let that resonate with our audience. So listen, guys, if you're interested in connecting with Peely and Jason, which you absolutely should be, 
Go to yerusiholdings.com. That's their core website. You can learn everything about them there from their investment opportunities, their portfolio, their mastermind, everything about them you can learn at yerusiholdings.com. So Peely, I just want to say thanks. This is a fantastic interview. Thanks for making some time. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. You were just listening to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something new, help us build the AI community by leaving a review and five-star rating on our iTunes podcast channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss another episode. To see passive investing opportunities, visit freelandventures.com slash passive. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of with multifamily apartments, apply for one-on-one -on -one coaching with Josh at www.joshcantwellcoaching.com.